0: I've got a tremendous guest today. I've got Eric Matlick, the CEO of Bombora. And who better to talk everything intent? That's the show topic today than the CEO of a leading intent data provider. So Eric, so happy to have you. Happy
1: Thanks to be here that. and uh and thank you for having me on the show today.
0: So Intent data. It's kind of like the new ABM. Everyone's talking about it. Probably more important now than ever. Maybe start by unpacking, like, what is the wild world of intent? It's kind of the Wild West. What is it?
1: Yeah, so I, I would say you're, you hit it head on. It is more important than ever, uh, considering what's happening in the macro um, in unprecedented times. There's a lot of noise out there. There's still a lot of research uh, being done uh, by business professionals, but there's also a lot of false positives, meaning that just because businesses and people businesses are doing research doesn't mean that they have a propensity to purchase anything anytime soon. And what we also know is that you know, many companies are, are lowering their forecasts, lowering their budgets, which also means they're lowering their expenses, they're cutting budgets, which means that there are less companies that are planning to purchase right now so intent data in my opinion is even more important today uh, than it was even a few months ago because what intent data can do is help you find those companies that are still healthy uh, companies that are still planning to purchase and what they're planning to purchase in a in a market when it's harder to find those right and um, i'll back that up with uh, topo who i'm sure you're familiar with came out with a research report just a couple of weeks ago um, saying, stating that among business businesses that are planning to use intent, they're up about 30%. So about 30% more businesses are planning to use intent data this year than last year. So um, there's more of an objective way of, of looking at it.
0: So let's rewind for one second. Sure. Because in, um, again, like ABM, intent is kind of a term that just gets tossed out there. So let's talk about the different types of intent.
1: Right, sure. So you know, I like to look at it, and, and you think about the the cousin of B two B, which is consumer, right? Um, intent data has been around for a long time. Think of think of auto intenders, right? The, the auto the idea of being able to target auto intenders, um, or travel, or or any other category in consumer, it's very similar in B two B, but there are some nuances or differences that are important, right? First of all. In, uh, in the consumer world, all you have to do is identify that one individual that's planning on purchasing a car or a pair of shoes. And then got
0: 10. Right. Maybe, if we're lucky, maybe 12, 14, right?
1: right so on B2B, that's right. So you have a buying committee, right? So um, businesses, well, the challenging thing is that businesses really don't buy anything. It's individuals that buy things, but you have to find the committee of individuals that, that yep. buy things. The other challenge in B2B is you know, unlike in the consumer world if some, if a consumer is doing research on something like a pair of shoes, pretty good chance that that person is going to buy that pair of shoes or whatever the consumer product is, right? That's why they're doing that research. And B2B is actually different. B2B, you know, companies are always doing research. So how do you tell whether they're just doing research because that's their job to stay on top of the latest trends in security, for example, or are they actually going to purchase something?
0: Team right.
1: of interns, right? right. So, um, so to give you, so I think hopefully that answers your question. But there, there are some some big differences, and that's sort of the definition in my mind of, of what intent is. Isn't isn't just that a company or an individual at a company is doing research. It's identifying the team of people that are doing the research at the company, and and being able to understand is this just research or is this intent is there a baseline of what that company always does as far as what kind of research they're consistently doing and has that baseline changed in a meaningful way up or down? And if it's gone up, then there's perhaps intent.
0: But just backing up, what we're talking about is the research that buying teams are doing perhaps on your website, unbeknownst to you, but also more largely in like the B2B network of, of publishing sites and periodicals.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great distinction. So yeah, when it comes to intent, there are different types of intent, right? There's there's first party intent, which is, um, you know, a user that came to your website, for example, or even there are publishers, right? Individual publishers with some scale, <clears throat> that's still considered first party intent. Um, so
0: like- G2 crowd, is that first party intent? Correct. But you call, I've been calling it second party, but I just made that up.
1: So, so the, that there, there is a little, it's a little bit of a gray area. Um, so there's, I use the term second party intent too, but it, it does get a little confusing. Um, so, but yeah. I can,
0: this, I mean, this episode is intent everything. What do we call the G2 crowds and the trust radiuses once and for all?
1: If, it, if it's to your own website and they do own and operate a website, right? Just an individual publisher owns and operates their own website, that so they would consider it first party intent. Um, when you're selling intent data, I'm sorry?
0: But if I buy G2 crowd data on who's researching me and my competitors, what's that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I would consider that second party intent because it's your right. audience, it's not their audience, it's now it's your audience and, and you're layering on intent um, from a second party. But your audience, right? If it right. was someone else's intent, on not just your audience but other audiences, that would be third-party intent.
0: All right, I think we just defined it. Where's Wikipedia? Let's put it in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> A healthy debate, anyway. Uh, I love it. Yeah, love so, that, so that's yeah, that's the difference of first-party and, and then you know the third-party. We we focus on third-party intent, but. But um, first-party intent is great. I like to say first-party intent in in a lot of cases um, is the highest quality. The only issue there is is scale. And it's kind of like um, when you're learning how to ride a bike, it's great when you have training wheels on, you're not going to get hurt. But at some point, you want to take the training wheels off. right? You're going to want to do more. You're going to want to put it in more places. You're going to want multiple teams in your company to use it. And that's where third-party intent comes from. right? You're eventually... If you're a medium-sized or a large organization, you're going to outgrow uh, first-party intent because you're going to need more because you want to do more things with it. And you're going to get to a level where, where where your other teams and other departments want to use it as well, and you need more scale, you need more leads for your teams, etc. And that's where third-party intent comes in.
0: Or if you're just starting out too, you might not have that much web traffic yet. That's right. Right. So you might have more of an outbound model.
1: And they're not mutually exclusive, right? I mean, you, you could use multiple sources. Um, it's just a matter of balancing scale versus, versus quality and, and those levers that you have.
0: So let's talk use cases. What is someone, I've amassed first party intent, which is my de anonymizing my website, second party, which is kind of the research publications, and third party intent, which is the broader mm-hmm. B2B network. I'm sitting on all this data. What do I do?
1: So there are a number of use cases, of course, the, um, you know, I'll start with sales prioritization, uh, sales enablement, and that's one of the bigger use cases today. You know, it's, it's, um, it's easier to measure. Let's just say that. And there are a lot of places that you could put it your sales team, always has an appetite for understanding who their their The companies are that they should be contacting and when they should be contacting them and with what message. So it even hits personalization, the sales right. use case. And, um, According to Topo, again, about 68% of businesses that were surveyed are now using intent data for sales prioritization. So, again, speaks to volumes to you know how it's being used. Another use case that we see quite often is marketing, um, and that could be email marketing is a, is a big use case inside of marketing. So, marketing departments using it not only to identify who to send messages to out of their database, but again, what personalization, which which message to send to which which parties to move these prospects along in the funnel. And last but certainly not least is the advertising side of, of of it. And that's, you know, usually ABM, the ABM tactic, been around for a long time, not just identifying what companies to target, but when to target them and again with with what message. And that mm-hmm. even parlays really nicely into social advertising, LinkedIn, oh, Facebook. Great.
0: I'm an open book. So I I like to talk about my first ABM stint, which I did not use any intent data. And it was a colossal waste of time and effort because the accounts were great for us to sell to, but they were under rock, they didn't care. And we put so much work into it. So I tell people, I mean, I don't know, this is maybe a little bit of a strong statement. And perhaps if you have a super defined TAM, really, really small, Maybe you can do ABM without intent, but it just it seems like kind of a, a, a waste of energy unless you really know who's even interested.
1: Yeah. And that's you know, one of one of our our missions or visions as a company is really to change sales and marketing to be more sustainable, meaning targeting companies that actually care about what you're selling when you're selling them. Um, Rather than, like you said, kind of, you know, just targeting everybody and hoping that you find somebody that's interested in what you do. And it's better for our industry if we we start to change our ways.
0: All right. That's Intent 101, Everything Intent, our first segment here on Talking Sense. We like to keep it fresh and fun here at Talking Sense. So our next segment is called Talking Nonsense. And I am going to throw out five terms. Pretty random stuff, mixed bag, jump ball. We got 60 seconds to cover. You ready, Eric?
1: I'm ready. Let's go.
0: All right. Topic one, Half Moon Bay.
1: Half Moon Bay. The, uh, it's where our, our uh, annual event is held. Um, beautiful place. You know, we're, we're all about sustainability and ecosystems, and the concept was uh, if we can get our our ecosystem, which is our publishers, or our data providers, our channel partners who put our data into activation, and all of our customers, agencies, and brands into, you know, one place, um, and then, you know, do it in a way that's, that that parallels sustainability in front of the ocean and the, our, our real physical world as well. So that's, that's, that was the idea behind why we chose Half Moon Bay.
0: Simon Sinek. So, what is
1: your why, Eric? What is your why? Why, yeah. So, you know, after, I, I read a couple of his books, listened to a few of his TED talks and podcasts, but there was there was a few of his concepts that I really that I really like and I thought were really um, embodied uh, the Bombora culture and and um, really that that's the infinite game concept, right? It's so an infinite versus finite game. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the um, what I really liked about it was that we can play this infinite game, which is we can do what's right for our customers, we can do what's right for our employees um, and company all at the same time and not play by somebody else's rules with a certain timeframe, right? We don't have to make decisions in a certain timeframe. We don't have to have an IPO or exit or hit a specific budget on someone else's rules. We're, we're gonna do what's right as a company and, and for our, our customers.
0: Next
1: topic, facts about surfing. <laughs> okay. So I'm a I, I got started surfing a little later, later in life after I'd sold my first company, but I really became I, I'd always played a lot of sports. And what's amazing about other sports is you can basically do it whenever you want, almost wherever you want, whether it's basketball or tennis, you, you can just choose when you want to play, right? Surfing, Surfing's
0: not
1: like that. I'm sorry?
0: Surfing's not like that.
1: Not like that at all. <laughs> Believe it or not. There are only waves when there are waves, right? And so what do you do about that? Unless you live on an incredible place with always waves. But so what do you do about that? You use data and technology and you try to figure out weather patterns, wind patterns, and you try to predict when there are going to be waves so you can take that day off when there might be waves, right? And so I just was really fascinated about that concept as a surfer. There's a lot of other things that are uh, equally uh, fascinating, but I, I think it also parallels our business, which is you use data and technology to find out and harness um, where the demand is, right? So it's similar to what so surfing.
0: We're going to be in the barrel. Did I say that right?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So if you're not CEOing and you're not surfing, because we covered that one and that would be cheating. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm
1: going to say travel, so I don't have to say surfing. I, I, would, I would be traveling at this point, probably spending more time with my kids, my family, um, just exploring. Sporing life. Um so, so
0: Airbnb fun. has these super cool travel experiences that you can do on Zoom now.
1: On Zoom. Okay.
0: Yeah. I went to Barcelona for my birthday yesterday. Hey. And we only choose. I'll
1: have to check that out. So cool. That's a great idea. I'll check that out. How was it? Yeah.
0: It was it, it was really cool. Um so favorite place you've ever been. I don't really You got 24 think. seconds left.
1: Okay. I don't, I don't have favorites but I but I will say I've probably been to Costa Rica more times than anywhere else just because I must like it a lot. So I'll, I'll probably probably say that Costa Rica. Would All, right. Be. Okay. All
0: right, next topic. CMOs crushing it.
1: You know, it's it's hard for me to single out know I work with so many marketing departments, so many CMOs and most CMOs will tell you it's their team um, I, in particular, have been, been close with the Cloudera team. They've been doing some really creative and innovative things. They're one of the teams that um, they come to us with ideas all the time or we come to them with ideas and they're quick to implement it. So, you know, I'd say my hats off to the Cloudera marketing team.
0: Well, there's a stat that keeps me up at night as a CMO. Um, and I think it was McKinsey uh, who talks about... CEOs not really understanding CMOs and what they do and, you know, maybe not really trusting that we know what we're talking about. So,
1: CEOs or just in, in general? Well, this
0: is this was particular to CEOs. So you're a CEO and you've yeah. been in, but you're also kind of in a unique spot because you're in MarTech.
1: Right. So
0: what do we need to do to...
1: I, I think the CMO job is one of the hardest jobs because it's one of those it's one of those roles where everybody has an opinion and everyone thinks that they can do the job, right? So I mean, I get that as a CEO and with my direct reports, you know, why aren't they doing this? How come they're not doing that? It's so easy to do this. Um, we just need this, like, and it's like, well, if you knew the other 800 priorities that marketing had. You might understand why they can't get to all of them, but also understanding what all of the different aspects of marketing. I think marketing has evolved quite a bit over the last twenty years, right? I mean, you have to now procure technology, and you have to build a Martech stack, a system of record. You have to be able to integrate all these different different objects and, and get them to work together, um, and then create momentum using various tactics from PR to advertising to to, to um, direct you know direct response and. And uh, SDRs, et cetera. So it's an extremely complicated uh, department, in my in my opinion. Uh, I probably respect it and understand it more than most, and I probably don't have a full understanding of the day to day inside of marketing yet. So, so.
0: what would you advise your CMO, me, other CMOs? Like, do we need to do a better job communicating what it is, or prioritizing, or?
1: Yeah, I think it's all communication again, and that's that is what we've worked on in on our and um, in, in the OKRs, in our management meetings, in our executive meetings, and even in our all hands is is showing, you know, what are the things that that um, that CMO or the marketing team is working on, what are the key results, um, yeah.
0: This is my favorite part of the show. What has been your biggest f up? <laughs>
1: So I, I actually was fortunate to have a really big F up early in my career my first my first business that I started started with a partner and um, you know left my my cushy job if you will and 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 started a company and we raised um, it' was my first sort of ad tech Martech company and we raised sixteen million dollars in March of two thousand so those of you who are watching may remember that was the uh, you know the height of the right before the bubble, right so Literally, the bubble was the night. Ne- literally, the day after we raised our money, and just everything went wrong. Um, I was a young, um, young kid at the time, and had some pretty big VCs who were going from meeting to meeting, you know, putting out fires, and we were just just one less thing that they wanted to deal with. And um, within nine months, I had lost my job. Um, you know, at that age, you just think the world is over. I I didn't know what to do, and there weren't really many jobs actually at that point in time. Um, I was very lucky in hindsight because it gave me the idea to start a different business, Uh which I did, and I learned so much from it because instead of raising $16 million, I raised just a tiny fraction of that from some uh, very sophisticated angel investors who were very patient, and um, I wound up with a very successful uh, company out of that, that experience.
0: I'm married to an entrepreneur, and I'm always in awe of, of what you guys do. Like, I don't have the stomp, stomach for it. I just sort of ride along on the side. Um, but, you know, I think it takes a, a very special person to start something from nothing. So thank you for doing that and creating
1: Start something from nothing and and want to be uh, alone a lot of times. <laughs>
0: It is. It is. It's a it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So, but you seem to have mastered it. So, thanks for everything you do. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing your colossal fuck up that's led you to something much bigger and demystifying intent data for us. So, appreciate it. Uh until next time.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.